it's a huge honor for me today to have the Burmese Python um, Nicola on the show. I've been following her on Instagram, and this is this is the person who inspires me the most. I, when I look at her feed, there's always something positive. And given the the state of the world, and given um, social media, the state of social media, it's it's so refreshing to have somebody so positive in the online space. Before we do that, please uh, smash the like button and um, like, subscribe, comment, share, all of those nice things so that we can get this um, interview out to more people. I read through the list of your accomplishments and I thought, I don't think I've done this in, in 35 years, let alone like, um, you, you know, 28, you're 28, right? I am, but that was just the list for... The, year, the last year, so yeah. So I don't think I've done that in 35 years. <laughs> um, so how, how do you do it? Like, um, you mentioned you bought a house, and a second house, you mentioned you got a promotion at work, you, you know, you, you're now a pro boxer as well, so you, you've signed a contract for that. How do, how do you manage to do all of that? Yeah, so I know it sounds so cliche, but it honestly is just pure hard work. And, you know, a lot of people see all the achievements and the accolades along the way, but I, like, have to sacrifice so much to get there. And, in, you know, in some cases it can be quite lonely, um, but... For me, it's always being able to step back, look at the bigger picture and really understand, you know, just like a small sacrifice that I'm making now, just the impact it will have later on. And it just means that, you know, even if it just brings me like a day closer to my goal, okay, let's do it. And then once you get into that rhythm of being comfortable, of knowing what your own priorities, values are, it then just makes conversations with other people um, so much easier to make sure that, you know, like, yes, I am saving money so that I can, you know, be able to buy another home and, you know, say no to, to things which don't serve me. Um, have you always been... And then... Oh, go on. Have you yeah, always been so focused or has that some, been something that you've developed? No, I wouldn't say I was always so focused. It was that definitely developed over the years. And I think that might have been due to the sleeping condition that I had, which was narcolepsy as a kid. Um, so not a lot of people are familiar with what narcolepsy is, but essentially your brain just switches off and you are out asleep for hours in addition to your like normal sleeping pattern. So it was typically in the middle of school about 11 o'clock, I'd fall asleep and I wouldn't wake up till about five o'clock in the afternoon. So I'd miss the whole of school and then I'd wake up in the evening briefly and then go back to bed again. So I was just asleep for like a lot of my childhood. So the focus in terms of being there, I didn't know when a sleeping episode was going to come on and no one could ever wake me, you know, because it almost sounds a bit silly. Like, oh, you know, you just pinch them or throw water in their face or get them to walk or get them to do something active and they'll stay awake. But I, I never knew it was coming and I, I could never be woken up after I did sleep, um, which my sister enjoyed a lot as a kid. You know, having a sleeping sister that she'd be able to then like try and throw popcorn in my mouth if I'd slept with my mouth open. Um, you know, she really enjoyed that, but it did mean that I missed out so much. And I feel looking back, that's where the focus then came from. You know, having missed out on so much. And then when I went to school, I was so fortunate that my friend circle were, they were just all really intelligent and they were all in top set for everything. And I was in like bottom set. So... I used to get them to try and help tutor me, <laughs> you know, and you do like trades off of like gingerbread men and things like that uh, so that they'd help and it'd be a bit more sort of mutual benefit just because, you know, I really wanted to be in the same class as my friends. And that's where sort of the focus started growing from. It's amazing that you were able to navigate that. 
because that sounds um, debilitating, like to to not know when you're gonna black out, um, you know, where you might be. I, I listened to some of your other interviews and it was a birthday episode, right? Where you, you fell asleep on the cake and stuff. So um, that- I did and my whole fringe caught on fire. <laughs> I heard that story and it sounds unbelievable because most people probably don't know anybody who's, who has this condition or, um, so the fact that you're able to deal with it and it's it's not very well known and probably very uh, not very well understood. Um, it's amazing. So and and the fact that you were able to still get through school um, and and do well is is amazing. How did you overcome that condition? Yeah. So it actually stayed with me for quite a long period of time. Um, I first noticed the episodes getting smaller and less intense when I started taekwondo. So that was sort of my first move into the martial arts world. Um, but I had narcolepsy all the way up until I went to university and I used to um, fall asleep in lectures as well. So I used to have to take a dictaphone to record the lecture. So should I fall asleep that I'd actually still have it at the end and someone would just pr press stop and, <laughs> you know, at some point I'd have the opportunity to listen back to it. Um, but I think you just find ways to work around it, you know. I think for me, that was my normal. And so I didn't know anything else. It was just sort of like, okay, well, if this is what's going to happen, how can I focus on the things that I can control? And like, what can I put in place to make sure that I'm not at a disadvantage? And I think that really helps. And, you know, I've always been really grateful that my friend circle have been, you know, very understanding and always taken it in their stride. That if it did happen and people around me aren't aware, they're quite quick to sort of educate them. Like, oh no, she does have narcolepsy, you know. She's not just being like a lazy student. She hasn't just intentionally fallen asleep. Yeah. And I guess you attract people similar to yourself, right? So you obviously have, um, you know, like you said, with with any relationship, there's give and take. So you're obviously a good friend to them. So they they've been good friends to you. Um, as a father, I'm always uh, trying to get my kids more active and get them to do martial arts and sports and stuff. So what I know your background is in taekwondo. What martial art would you recommend for for little kids? I think for children, all martial arts are great. Um just in the fact that broadly speaking, they teach a lot of different things other than, you know, self-defense, which I think is like the driver for, for a lot of parents. But for me, I really enjoyed Taekwondo. And even looking back, although it's not been, say, the most useful in terms of actual combat, in terms of the morals and foundations that it instilled in me, that's what I think was really powerful. And that's why I'd never change it. So from Taekwondo, it very much became my world in a way for me to live life of, you know, like persevering, having indomitable spirit, yeah. showing respect, being courteous, you know, having integrity, you know, those foundations that were drilled in, I felt just laid such a brilliant, almost, yeah, ethos or method for me to live my life. My, my kids do wrestling at the moment, but with wrestling, there's not really that, that kind of whole martial art thing, but you're learning values. It's more, you learn it yeah. through, the sport um, in terms of you getting beaten up, you learn to be humble and, and that kind of stuff, but it's not like um, other martial arts where they're uh, explicitly saying that these are the kind of um, characteristics we want you to embody. Yeah, and me as a kid, I was definitely like quite impatient and probably still have elements of that now. Or when I think I'm being patient and people are like, you're not Nick, <laughs> like you're not being patient. Yeah. Um, having like the grading system behind Taekwondo, you know, you had to wait a certain, you know, you had to turn up and train say, X amount of times for that 
three months, six months, year period. And, you know, the higher that you progress, the more commitment and dedication you had to show. Uh, and, you know, it didn't matter then how many sessions you were doing. It was actually you need to do it for this length of time consistently. Yeah. And for me, that was like quite a bit of a personal battle because I was like, no, I'm turning up. Like, can't we like speed up this process a little bit? Yeah. Um, but then it just made it so much more rewarding when I did get there. Cause it's like, okay, I've actually worked for this really yeah. hard. And I guess it's good, good um, mental training because with any kind of goal, it's all, like you said earlier, it's like that one day at a time is taking you closer towards your goal. It's not, it's not, um, and that's going to help with education. That's going to help with other aspects of life as well. Not just, not just with the actual martial art, uh, being able to break down goals and take them one day at a time. And you became world champion. So. Yeah, I became a world champion in Taekwondo. And you know what? Um, for that actual fight, I had a cracked rib and a fractured foot. Wow. But I knew that going into the fight. So I said to my parents, like, don't come because I'm probably going to lose. But I just want to go because it's the world championships. And even if I properly break my foot, that's fine. I'll just accept that risk. But I just want to say I've been. Wow. Um, so no one came with me. Like, I didn't get my, my coach didn't fly out. My mum didn't come. I didn't have any fans. And then by some absolute miracle, I think adrenaline has a lot to do with it. You know, it just carries you through pain. Um, I ended up winning. And I remember calling my mum from Canada and being like, I've just won. Can you believe that? Uh, and then I was like, it doesn't matter what injury I have in future, you can come because I just, I, I don't even know what just happened. I don't even know how I'm the champion right now. <laughs> so, I'm thinking about the self-talk that um, a normal person would have, thinking, oh, there's no way I'm going to do it. It's going to, you know, what's the point of going and stuff. So it just goes to show you um, the kind of strength of character that you have to turn up when you know you have uh, a broken foot in a taekwondo competition and a broken rib, so you're going to get hit to the body, and your foot's definitely going to have contact. Um, so that's, that's amazing. Uh, training as a woman. So I, we spoke earlier, I, I mentioned that when I was, I think I was 16, I went to Thailand, and at that point in time, which was probably about 18 years ago, they, um, some gyms wouldn't allow women there. Uh, they had this superstition that it would impact the training if there were girls training at the gym. Okay. And, um, and now, obviously, you know, from from speaking to some coaches, they say you know girls are better fighters than boys in terms of like the discipline, the ability to pick up um, techniques and to listen to like coaching cues and that kind of stuff. So, um, did you experience any stigma in terms of training as a, as a girl in Taekwondo? Less so, and I think that's because it's not as full contact in comparison. Um, but as I've moved more over into the full contact martial arts, so in the worlds of kickboxing, K1, Muay Thai left way which is the Burmese boxing in pure boxing they're definitely more male dominated and I'd say yeah people very much underestimate it or yeah under underestimate me as a female um you know when they're like oh you know you can spar with you can plus spar with Nick and they're kind of like mm, don't really want to spar with her you know she's a girl like, like what am I going to learn uh, and I'm not saying that they need to punch, you know, with 100% power, but actually the tactical, the technical elements, you can still have a really technical spar. And it's been very a learning process. And I just see it change, you know, and I think a lot of fighters will be able to relate when I say this, is that once a hard shot has landed, I just see something in their face change. And then I know that, oh, OK, now now they're going to spar me properly. But it happens almost every time that we need to get to that point first before then they're like, OK, I'm going to take this are going to take her seriously and fight her properly, um, you know, because she can fight. 
but it's just always a bit of a process to get there it's never touch gloves and it will just be immediately like okay you know mutual respect yeah so um, just, it always feels it. there's gonna be yeah, a little, little bit of a, of a, uh, a curve until you actually connect and then they're gonna be like okay because seriously, otherwise you're gonna knock me out. No, I literally see it in their face. I can't tell you what happens, but their face changes, and I'm like, okay, like I'm 100 switched on now too because I know that I know that they're coming back. Yeah, and do you have any issues um, about um, like you probably predominantly have to train with men, right? Because there's probably not as many females that train in full contact. So interestingly, and this is one of the key differences between the martial arts. In all the other martial arts I did, kickboxing, Thai boxing, left way. Taekwondo, men and women, they sort of intermix. I always used to spar men. Um, but having moved over into the realms of professional boxing, actually they separate that out a lot more. But I think it's to do with, you know, there being so much of a focus on sort of punches to the head and sort of the differences in power. Um, but actually, if I'm sparring in boxing, we typically bring other female fighters to the gym. Um, so there's only a few kilos difference. It's a lot more sort of safer and regulated. And I'd say that's the key difference between sort of boxing, sparring versus sort of kickboxing. Otherwise, you know, like I, I'm about like 60 to 64 kilos, um, depending whereabouts in the fight camp I am. But I'd always spar someone who's maybe like 120 kilos. And, you know, I'd be swept like a domino almost. And it's like comical watching it back because I just think like, I don't feel that you know, like flimsy, but when you're sparring someone who's like 120 kilos, um, you know, you really notice it. But then again, you become so much more susceptible to injuries. So from a safety perspective, uh, yeah, I much rather and prefer the, the method in boxing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it just feels safer. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's weight classes for a reason, right? Um, yeah, no, absolutely. So with the, with the bare knuckle fighting, um, let's, let's wait, am I saying it right? Left way, Left that's way. correct. Is um, weren't you scared going in there? Because I would be terrified that I'm gonna get my nose broken or, or my face is gonna. Oh, get I was up. terrified. <laughs> I was so scared. I got there. Um, so for those who aren't familiar with what left way is, it allows punches, kicks, knees, elbows, headbutts, um, and it's all with no gloves. And so, in the UK, feeling very safe and in my comfort zone, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's go do it. And then, as you say, when I was walking out. I remember saying to my mum, like, who, who let me do this? Who told me this was a good idea? She was like, everyone has told you. I was like, I don't remember one person telling me that this was a terrible idea. Like, I genuine, like, my last honest thought was, I think I might die. And then I was like, okay, you've got to go out and fight now. And I know it was a bit dramatic, but I was actually that scared that that popped into my mind. Yeah. <laughs> because I've never even had a street fight. I've never thrown a headbutt like to a person you know obviously i've been practicing it at the gym on the pads and the bags but i've never actually thrown a headbutt um so it all just felt quite overwhelming but at the same time i just remember thinking like you know if i really didn't want to do this all i had to do was leave yeah like no one's forcing me to walk into the ring okay it'd just be a bit of a disappointment for everyone here but if i don't want to do it i don't have to do it and i think that's when i knew i did want to do it because yeah. I was like, well, I'm not going to walk out, am I? And I was like, okay, so like, let's just go, let's make our way to the ring. And in like 15 minutes or however long the fight's going to take, you know. It'll be a, yeah, it'll be over. Hopefully I'll be able to raise my hand and be on like cloud a million and one because I'll be so above cloud nine that I'm just alive. That, you know, um, 
Yeah. It was like a very euphoric moment after that. That's amazing. Yeah, people are just very surprised. The common thing is, one, you don't look like a fighter, um, which I think is like that stigma around females having to look very butch, um, you know, short hair, like incredibly macho all the time, unarticulate. You know, the, uh, they just, I think they have this stereotype in their mind of what a female fighter is. Um, and then the second thing is, well, you just don't look like you could fight at all. So, you, you know, you don't look like the typical person, but then it also looks like you just couldn't even throw a punch. Um, so they just, you know, find it hard to believe that until they see see actual footage, they're like, oh, wow, okay. Wow. Um, yeah, that's amazing. But that is a common, common one. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. It's great that you're breaking, like, shattering people's, um, you know, the the stigma and the kind of belief systems that people have around, around women and what a, a female fighter looks like and all that kind of stuff. Um, you're always so positive and like sometimes it's probably from social media it seems like oh yeah um someone's probably only this positive for social media but i've seen your interviews and obviously the interactions i've had with you you're always so positive have you always been like that or is it is it something that martial arts has brought about or other other factors i think i've always tried to be really positive i think it's not that bad things don't happen to me. It's not that, you know, I don't get challenges similar to anyone else or I don't have problems or, you know, days where I've just been like, oh, you know, today isn't my day. I wish I could just go back to bed and start the day again. But, you know, I just always try to remember the bigger picture, you know, choose how I respond to a, to like an event or something, you know, if something and you get like that immediate emotive response, it's like, okay, What's like future Nicola going to thank you for in your response right now? And like, what will she not thank you for? Like make a decision, like even given the situation now that is going to be like the best um, for everything. And I just think like, you know, really focusing on what you can control is so important. And that goes, it goes so much further than we think. Have you heard um, of, Say that again. Learned optimism. Is a book no, I haven't. Tell yeah. me more. There's a, whole, there's a whole science behind like, uh, why people should be more positive and they, they actually did this study on nuns and they they looked at their lifespan and longevity and health conditions and they looked at their journals and their diaries and they found that people yeah. who um, has had a positive frame of mind had less health conditions like they had lived happier lives they um, they died um, later in life and stuff so so there's a there's a massive uh, body of research being done around um, optimism and and that as a as a tool for health really fascinating and i think that's true you know because i remember i think i read a war study about soldiers who intentionally i don't know if they shot themselves in the foot for example and then went back home because they were so happy to be home they'd recover so much faster because they were happy and everything than someone who say act, like genuinely was injured and was sent home but, but didn't want to go home yeah and the recovery rates were those who were happy were just like oh not instantaneous, but it was significantly quicker. Yeah. So I think there's definitely a lot of value in that. Yeah, 100%. They actually did a, a study on dentists and they, they pierced a hole in the roof of their mouth, which is a bit of a, a mean thing to do oh, wow. to anybody. 
Um, but they were all volunteers, <laughs> and they did it during exam time when they were in a high-stress situation, and they did it during the summer holidays, and they found that the recovery was twice as fast during the time when they weren't stressed compared to when they were stressed. Um, it's insane, isn't it? Yeah, wow. It's amazing. Um, that brings me on to the question of injuries, because you, you mentioned two injuries in terms of the foot break and the, and the rib, broken rib. How do, you, how do you manage this like, and still train? Um, so I've got a, le- a lot smarter around training. Definitely when I first started out, so with Taekwondo, as a, a great example, um, I used to train with injuries, during injuries, everything. Um, and, you know, I think because I was younger, my body was like a lot more ready to take on the strain. Um, it recovered a lot quicker. But also then sort of reassessing the sport as a whole and wanting, you know, this to be a genuine career and to have longevity within the sport, actually that approach isn't beneficial. And taking the time out to make sure I'm recovering and working on, and not fit, not actually like walking on the broken foot or the cracked rib, whatever it should be, um, will really benefit. But I think, you know, so I had those injuries. I've broken my nose a couple of times. Um, I also tore my knee during sparring. So I tore my ACL, MCL and hamstring. And dislocated the joint like all in the same time um that was probably the most severe but because of where it fell in terms of my injury cycle that was maybe just under a year ago immediately before that i was in a really life-threatening car crash um and i said that's probably the only time that i wasn't super optimistic and ended up having ptsd which is post-traumatic stress disorder um And being in that mental cycle where actually everything from the car crash in terms of wounds on the outside were healed, but actually like the mental state behind the trauma hadn't been healed, that for me was like the hardest thing to cope with. Um, And so coming out of that and then immediately having the knee injury, honestly, it just felt like a walk in the park in comparison because that was such like a dark, lonely, isolated period that when it was like, okay, it's an injury, it's got an actual process to recover, it could be so much worse. To put a positive spin on it was just, ah, oh, I don't know, it was just so easy. But you have to go through those like, like hellish moments, I suppose, um, to really appreciate, you know, everything that's coming forward. Is there anything that helped with um, when you were going through that dark period with PTSD? Um, I know that's something that uh, soldiers often experience, like after combat. And and um, my my wife's actually a doctor of psychology, and she it's amazing how the nervous system keeps a score of things because uh, she cut her hand once when she was washing dishes, and every time now when she washes dishes and she's not doing doing it consciously, she gets that same pain. So the the the, you know, the nervous system keeps a memory for these things. So I know with some people who've been in accidents. Whenever they initially, especially initially, when they get in the car again, they've got that that fear and anxiety. So, is there anything that helped you um, that may help somebody else who's going through it? Yeah, that's so true. You know, because I thought that actually I was fine, um, and I remember it was exactly that. You know, I got back into the car, but I was in the passenger seat, and I just hadn't even thought about it until we started moving the car, and I was like, "Well, you have to stop. Like, I can't. Like, I can't be in the car anymore." And then it hit me, and I was like, "Oh Lord!" Like, I'm like like the body is keeping score and I'm way more impacted about this than I even thought myself um in terms of what helped it was just like I'm gonna say blind belief um 
I just remember having my nose broken once before during sparring. And then when I went back to spar again, I just didn't want to spar. I was like, no, I don't like this anymore. And it was like, no, you do love it. You've loved it forever. This is why you commit your whole life to it. Just keep turning up and like one day something will change. And then it did. Wow. But it was like, it wasn't like an overnight process. It was like an overtime thing, which happened. And it was almost the same with the car accident, although it felt like infinitely longer. And it felt like nothing I was doing was helping. And every time, you know, I'd go to speak to like a mindset coach or like a counsellor or a therapist, it was all a bit with an eye roll. Like I knew I needed help, but I just didn't feel like anyone could help me. But I was like, I'll just keep turning up because maybe maybe some magic will happen along the way. I'm not doing anything else with my time. So it doesn't feel like I'm like losing out. And then, yeah, it was through that. That just one day, I remember just laughing one day and being like, oh, I just smiled, which sounds really sarcastic. But I was like, wow, I just had that for 10 seconds. But like, at least we're going somewhere now, you know? And it was like 10 seconds out of the whole day. But like, I, that was a genuine laugh just there. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't one that I had to force or fake anymore. And I was like, oh, that, that's like the only like glimpse of hope that I needed. Do you recommend any resources like books or not? in relation to any any topic any that stick out in your head if someone said what what's the one book they should read which one would you recommend the one book they should read so i really enjoyed the rise of superman okay. um i don't know if you've heard that book before um but the the idea behind that book talks about athletes in a really peak men mental state called flow um where there's so much I don't want to say fear, but there's so much, it, I, I suppose it is fear in a sense though. Uh, but when you read the book, you'll get more of an understanding of how that's being defined. But there's so much on the mark, you know, you could literally like die doing the different activities that they're doing, you know, like climbing up the side of the Grand Canyon without any ropes, like free climbing. Yeah. So in those really peak states, how the mind then starts making decisions and goes into this absolute flow state where you just make a series of many, many, many correct decisions and like world records are broken and it's all because they're in this just one headspace. So me as an athlete and as a fighter, that's like what I'm aiming to be in when I go into the ring, you know, everything's almost slowed down and you get everything in slow motion. But the only time I've ever had that is actually in the car accidents that I've been in. And I always used to read about it and people used to tell me like, oh, like everything used to slow down. I see it all in slow-mo like we do in the films. And I was like, no, that sounds like rubbish. No way is that true. And then when I was in both my car accidents, everything was in slow motion. I was like, wow, so this is what athletes have who are in the zone. Like how cool would it be to have that in the ring? Um, and so I found that absolutely incredible uh, that so many different athletes and they could talk about sort of skateboarders, rock climbers, surfers, who do all these fantastic, incredible, insane things, but all through this flow state within their mind. So yeah, The Rise of Superman, wow. I think it's a great read. I was absolutely okay. fascinated. I'll add that to the description box so people can pick that up as well. Um, I know they'll enjoy that. And uh, your future in pro boxing, can you tell us about what you're doing next? Like, are you, have you got a fight planned or are you in camp at the moment? Yeah, so I'm in fight camp at the moment. It's four weeks till my professional boxing debut, which is happening on the 
18th of September on Saturday in Essex so I'm super excited about that and yeah this is just the start of another another martial art in the world of the Burmese python um, and the goal is always the same you know um, is to try and get as far as I can in all the different disciplines and this time it's boxing so yeah and I, I want to come and support you for that so um, uh, where can people pick up tickets for, for the event? Yeah, so if you just drop me a message on Instagram or Facebook, so at the Burmese Python, um, yeah, message me for tickets and I'll get you all sorted. One piece of advice that you'd give someone, the tagline of the of the podcast is um, inspiring the next generation. So if you had to give the next generation one piece of advice, what would it be? What would it be? It would be focus on what you can control. And where can people follow you? And so, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, at the Burmese Python. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Nicola. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's been my pleasure.